0: Ginger Buchanan is the editor in chief of Ace and Rock, two imprints of Berkeley and NAL. They're great science fiction imprints. Thank you for joining me, Ginger. Oh, okay. Ginger, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you become science fiction's top editor?
1: Well, thank you for that. I don't know that I am, but I appreciate the compliment. This was actually, going into editorial was actually a midlife career change. I was a social worker for 15 years. But I've always been a reader of science fiction and fantasy, and I was a very active part of the fandom of science fiction and fantasy. As a matter of fact, I met my husband through that. So our social circle of friends were people who were other readers, and also there's a very close connection between the professional and reader community in the field So we also had a lot of friends who were uh, editors and publishers, and essentially 25 years ago, in fact, 25 years ago in March, I was offered a job as an editor with Ace Books by the then editor-in-chief, Susan Allison, and I was ready for a midlife career change, so I took it. Susan is still here. She's now editorial director of Berkeley. Give
0: us an idea of how things work there at ACE. Do you accept unsolicited manuscripts?
1: We do read unsolicited material. That, however, is read by the junior staff members. And as a matter of fact, their preferences for electronic submissions, Mm. our guidelines are on the ACE Rock webpage on the penguin.com website.
0: That's great to know. So we can just—that's a lot easier to deal with than— you know, packaging together a manuscript and a, a, to not to put too fine a point on, on it, a lot less expensive.
1: Indeed, and it was their preference.
0: Wow, that's uh, great. And
1: since they're the ones who are actually going through the material, we felt we, being uh, Susan and myself, felt that we should bow to what they wanted.
0: <laughs> now, can you give me an idea of what kind of percentage of that stuff gets that they get gets from them to you?
1: Berkeley and NAL are mass-market publishers or mass-market divisions.
0: Mm -hmm. This is Um, mass-market paperbacks then, right? Yes. Okay.
1: Some of what's done is reprint from our hardcover side. That would be Putnam and Viking. A good deal of what's done in genre is original. Mm -hmm. People get promoted by finding material.
0: Oh, okay. So if somebody uh, – Well, they
1: would they would have a senior staff person read it, mm-hmm. but it would be their acquisition.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, in fact, my assistant, who's been with us about a, a year, made her first acquisition. It's going to be published January of next year, and Susan Allison's assistant uh, has uh, also made her first acquisition. It's going to be published in October of this year.
0: Now, I have to ask, if these people are accepting electronic submissions, do they uh, work in your New York office, or do oh, yes. they just work out of your ho- their homes? No,
1: no, no, no. They're, no, we have no uh, off-site editors. So uh, tell us uh,
0: about uh, the, these two acquisitions that came in over the transom, unsolicited, and were selected for publication by the esteemed Ace Rock Online. Tell us uh, who, who, what, where, when can we see them?
1: One of them, as a matter of fact, it turned out the woman is a published writer. She's done mostly uh, nonfiction, idiots Guide" kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she has an agent, but her agent doesn't handle fiction. So she just sent uh, her first, it's an urban fantasy. It's called Dead Town, and her name is Nancy Holzner. That's H-O-L-Z-N-E-R. And uh, she just sent it because her agent doesn't handle fiction, by and large. And uh, it was sent... I don't actually know if it was sent to me or if it was sent to Ace. the uh, junior staff members. I don't read an agent of material, neither does Susan. Or our our junior people would clear it. Uh, and Cameron uh, read it and thought it was really good, and it is. I mean, it was not a surprise to find out that this woman had written before, uh, but she didn't even say that in her cover letter, and we made a, a three-book offer, I think. Wow. Uh, and it's going to be published, as I said, in January of next year in ACE.
0: Tell us a little bit about the process of of editing this book. Now, once your assistant reads it, uh, who do you take over from there?
1: No, what I was saying is that if a junior staff member makes an acquisition, it's their book. Oh, wow. This this is the the way the apprenticeship uh, aspect of publishing, most specifically mass market publishing, although it does happen in hardcover houses too, Uh, The woman here who is the executive editor in charge of the romance line started as as the publisher's assistant. And she was just promoted up through the ranks to her current position.
0: Now tell me I know there's been a lot of decimation of of your ranks recently with the you know with the publishing houses everybody's kind of collapsing in upon themselves but there's also been some good news and I think that the sales of science fiction specifically are are creeping upward not downward
1: Science fiction and fantasy and driven mostly by urban fantasy we've as a company not had any layoffs um mm. uh, It's a matter of public record, so I'm not saying anything people wouldn't know. The Pearson UK owns Penguin, um, and it's a publicly traded company, so they had to respond to the economic downturn for their stockholders. So their approach to it was to uh, hold raises, to freeze raises. Uh, So for this year, anybody who made over a certain um, salary level didn't get a raise. Although we did get bonuses because last year was a, a boom, rich raise. So that's what they did. They didn't freeze hiring. They didn't lay anybody off. They didn't freeze acquisitions. They they responded by, uh, you know, controlling raises with the notion that that could be revisited later in the year. And in fact, our first quarter has been stunningly wonderful, uh, not just because of the science fiction and fantasy, but yes, Ace and Rock are doing probably the best that they've done in decades, largely driven by ur- urban fantasy, but not entirely, not
0: entirely. Well, well, let's talk a little bit about urban fantasy. What do you think is the appeal, and why is it selling so well now compared to, say, reg- uh, you know, space opera, science fiction, and futuristic, near-future, cyberpunkish ish stuff? What, what's the appeal of the urban fantasy?
1: It crosses over into the romance market, and most books in this country are still bought by women, we also publish, Berkeley publishes Nora Roberts, who is the best-selling author in the country. And I think that's it. I think traditional hard science fiction, I'm not saying women don't read it, they do. But there is a much closer relationship between urban fantasy and paranormal romance. And if you can pull in that romance readership, which is huge, it, it's going to swell your sales numbers. Uh, Do you know what Locus is? You probably know what Locus is. Oh, yes, yes. Their May uh, issue is all devoted to urban fantasy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was was reading that. Um, So tell me uh, about um, who are the top-selling urban fantasy authors in mass-market paperback for you guys, and how did these people get to that position?
1: Well, anybody who really, really, really is successful has been moved into hardcover, but I'll back that up, one up, and say... Laurel Hamilton, who is actually, as they say, transcended the genre because she's gone in an area, as Locus puts it, I think Carolyn Cushman said paranormal uh, rom- romantica, but she started as an ace mid-list author. Charlene Harris is probably the best-selling author in the country at the moment. That was fueled by True Blood, but she was doing really well before then. We also published Jim Butcher, who is the best-selling male writer of urban fantasy, his Harry Dresden series. The last book in that series was in uh, in April was hardcover, was the number one New York Times bestseller. So the mass market originals are, I wouldn't say they're the farm team, but they're where the hardcovers of next year or the year after are coming from. A woman named Patty Briggs, her most recent uh, February book was her first hardcover, the fourth book in her series, and it was a number three New York Times bestseller after having she had had a number one New York Times bestseller in mass market. So it's the way the lists develop here. Uh, we start people out in mass market for the most part. We occasionally will launch somebody in hardcover, but we start them out in mass market, and as their numbers grow, they move into hardcover. It's not just, by the way, with the science fiction and fantasy imprints. We have a mystery list here, and we have a romance list. Too. In addition to the... The sort of more generic list does the thrillers, the mystery writers like Robert Parker, who were considered more than mystery writers and authors like that.
0: Well, I must say that I I remember in the depths of time getting all these great, like, mass market paperbacks. I like a good, kind of, uh, cheesy paperback. And I I mean, there's something, there's some kind of appeal to that, a a lack of pretension that still doesn't, doesn't, certainly doesn't rule out good writing. Good writing is good writing. It doesn't, well, we
1: do probably more mass market originals than any other uh, science fiction and fantasy imprint of uh, many of the other imprints there aren't that many of us we're a small pond many of the other imprints have moved back from that we haven't we just got a military science fiction writer very classic old-fashioned in the best sense of the word the the author in fact is a military guy mass market paperback on the times list just from growth so we aren't just Confined to our successes in urban fantasy, we have a author named Steve Sterling S.M. Sterling who does alternate history, the uh, yeah, very popular good. subcategory in science fiction, and he's going to be on the Times list this year. I mean, he's just every every hardcover has gone higher, and this is the one that's going to make it. So it's not just science fiction; it's not just the urban fantasy here. Ace, you probably know this because I gather you're not a uh, novice or uh, not uh, uninformed about the field. Ace was founded in 1953 by Donald Wolheim. It's the oldest continuing science fiction and fantasy imprint in the business. So we have on the Ace list some of the great names in science fiction. We published John Barley. We published Joe Haldeman. We published Jack McDevitt. We published uh, Alan Steele. Uh, we published some of the newer voices, uh, Alistair Reynolds, who is British, Charles Strauss, who is also British, uh, but doesn't write specifically in England. So we've always had a strength in traditional science fiction, which sells. It's just at the moment, urban fantasy is what's selling really well. But a decade ago, what was selling really well was the Robert Jordan books, the, you know, the very big quest fantasies. So it's been pretty consistently true for the last little while. That fantasy, with some exceptions, has outsold science fiction. Uh, those exceptions are uh, tie-in kinds of things and uh, authors who are not uh, Neil Stevenson, who is not published as a genre writer. Bill Gibson, who we publish, who isn't published as a genre writer, they sell remarkably well. But its fantasy has been pretty much the the meat and potatoes for you know going on twenty years now. It's just the kind of fantasy has moved from the very, the quest fantasy, the large male-driven, actually, quest fantasy, to the urban fantasy, which was much more female-driven. Almost all the protagonists are women, and they're almost all written by women.
0: You know, I can't help but think that uh, the success of the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer has oh, a yes. lot to do with that.
1: If you have the issue of Locus, I have an essay in there. It was a combination of Buffy and actually Laurel Hamilton.
0: Mm. Now, I, I've always found Laurel Hamilton to have – her stuff really verges – goes, I think, beyond romance into uh, a lot more explicit sexual material. If you
1: read the earlier books, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case.
0: No, yeah, the earlier books I, I found quite a, a delightful kind of a, a fun noir a touch to them. they well, really...
1: just doing a different thing now, and it has a big, big, big audience, but the earlier books were very much in the, uh, would, would very much come under the umbrella of what is defined as urban fantasy these days.
0: Now, could you talk about any authors that you think who are prepared to make that next big, big leap?
1: A woman named Alona Andrews, whose last mass market original in April of this year made the Times extended, or not no, made the Times printed list.
0: What? What? What was that book?
1: I think it was Magic Strikes was mm. this year. It was the third book in her series, mm-hmm. urban fantasy set in Atlanta. She's definitely on the on the upswing. Um, a woman named Devon Monk, who is published on the Rock list. Devon is just two books into her series, but it's moving really well. They're on the on the growth pattern. We we publish a lot of them. It's like trying to pick your favorite child. (laughs) I work with an author named Chris Green, Chris Marie Green, who's been doing a series in trade paperback that's been growing. Uh, She was a romance writer who moved to urban fantasy. I work with another author named Julie Kenner who did the same thing. She was a romance writer. There's a certain freedom in writing urban fantasy. There aren't as many Uh, conventions that have to be, rules that have to be followed. Charlene Harris has a really interesting uh, essay in the, uh, Charlene comes out of Mystery, but in the, uh, in that locus issue about, you know, all the rules that you had to follow when you were writing category mysteries, one of which was Never Kill the Cat, and she said she finds urban fantasy much more freeing. Not that she's killed any cats, but she could if she wanted to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, you were talking about somebody who is in trade paperback. I find that a really interesting format because it's a, a lot more affordable and actually a little bit easier to store than hardcover. Yet it does offer those of us with uh, challenged eyesight slightly larger print than mass market. Could you talk about the place of, you know, talk about some of the marketing aspects of, you know, visually presenting some of these uh, books in terms of the the cover art and, and just, you know, uh, what's the what's the, who tosses the coin that says mass market paperback or trade paperback?
1: Oh, uh, the scheduling is done. I I do the scheduling. Uh, Basically, with uh, Ann Sowards, who is uh, uh, executive editor of Ace and Rock. And of course, we run it by Susan. As I said, Susan is editorial director for all of Ber- Berkeley. What do we decide? How do we decide? That's an interesting question. Um, some things just seem more like trade paperbacks. And then sometimes the trade paperbacks are reprinted into math. And sometimes the trade paperback authors eventually go into hardcover. There's an author named Kat Richardson, that's mm-hmm. Kat with a, a K, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. writes urban fantasy. We launched her in trade paperback. She did extremely well. She's been moved into hardcover. And once you're moved into hardcover, you reprint into mass market. So it's just a matter of getting a feel, balancing the list, seeing how we feel the material would go. There are almost no outlets now for review for mass market other than online, there's a lot of online stuff. So if you want if you have something that you want to get review attention for and it has to be hardcover or trade, that's true again in any genre, not just science fiction or fantasy. So if there's something that we feel for one for any particular reason that we want to get extra review attention, that might be launched in trade. We've launched series in mass market, we've launched series in trade. We have not ever launched an urban fantasy series in hardcover. We've launched other series. I launched an alternate history military science fiction series in hardcover last year that has done extremely well. It's an author named Taylor Anderson, who mm-hmm. is, in fact, a military historian, and he's going to be a big name, I think. But they just seem to be books that needed to be in hardcover. So it's more just a matter of feel, I think, is, is the way to put it. I mean, it's... Hard to explain. I've been doing this for 25 years and for 12 or so, Susan, for 27 or 28. This is an unusual company. When I say that, I mean the Putnam-Berkeley side of it, and that people stay here a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, publishing is known as a business where you get promoted by leaving. That was never particularly true at Putnam-Berkeley because there was a lot of promotion from within. The president of the Mass Market Division has been here 30 years. I've been here 25. The woman who runs the mystery list has been 27. The guy who's the head of the managing editors department, something like 27. So there's a there's a continuity. The the man who's the vice president in charge of sales, something like 25. Uh, we've all been working together for a very long time, uh, and in publishing years, an extraordinarily long time. So we have we have a sense. We have a feel. We we can, you know, we have a sense of. of what book they might respond to better in mass market than or in trade or in hardcover, because we've been working with the sales department for you know over two decades. So I think it gives us an advantage, perhaps over some other publishing companies, where the traditional you get promoted by going somewhere else, and there's nothing wrong with that by the by. That uh, has, been more, has been true, so there's more of a churn. There hasn't been that much of a churn here. We also have a lot of people who leave and come back. So.
0: Well, I can see that. It sounds to me like there's a, a, a bit of what I would call woo-woo uh, sensibility to, to determine which is, you know, uh, hardcover. It's not just
1: mass- that. It's not just that because this is based <laughs> on looking at, at looking at 25 years of what's been done and mm-hmm. what's worked and where.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's the result of experience. You've yeah. developed an intuitive sense for yeah. how how yeah. to what what's going to work, um, and it also sounds too like the publishing environment there. Uh, that stability has really helped you guys grow. I and think it has.
1: Yeah. I think it definitely has. Uh, if you work that long with people, you can, and they know what you've done and uh, what's been successful. You can take an unknown writer into a meeting and say, "This is the one." You know, you can we can turn this person into the next, you know, uh, and they'll believe you because they have confidence. And again, that's not just ace and rock. I mean, the mystery list, the woman has been here 27 years. The woman who runs the romance list started as the publisher's assistant, and she's she's had some phenomenal successes. I mean, the paranormal romance list, uh, which is called Sensation, the romance list is called Sensation. It does a lot of paranormal has a lot of big, big names. I mean, uh, Christine Fien, who is one of the major writers in, in paranormal romance, is our author, number one New York Times best-selling writer, uh, and some new people. Uh, uh, so that editor, her name is Cindy Wong. Again, if she says to the sales force, this is one that's going to work, they know that she knows what she's talking about. So,
0: You know, it sounds to me like... Uh Genre fiction, in particular this kind of urban fantasy, uh, paranormal romance, has essentially conquered the publishing world.
1: Not really, (laughs) because I mean, there's still a lot of major uh, thriller writers, most of whom are men. Mm. Uh, There are, and most of those books are written by men, not all. And our mystery list uh, is is geared toward craft cozies and out and other companies have the, the Dennis Lehanes and the Michael Con- Conleys. At the moment, uh, all things vampiric and were Wolfian, as I said in The Locust, End, are really, <laughs> really hot, and that's a combination. They were anyway, but that's a combination of Stephanie Meyer, not our author, and and Alan Ball and True Blood. I mean, True Blood just became a phenomena, and it had a bounce-back effect on the books that it's based on, uh, which is a credit to Charlene's writing because people didn't just buy the first book. They bought all of the books. But it's also had a bounce-back effect on the genre in general and urban fantasy in general. Uh, And that wasn't anything that was planned or predicted by any publishing company. Uh, But but there are, you know, James Patterson is James Patterson. He can write anything, and it's going to be at the top of the Times list. Uh, And at the moment, you know, Dan Brown is finally going to release his four-year delayed book in the fall, and that's going to be a huge, huge, huge book. So it's not all urban fantasy. One of the reasons this company is in a good position is that I'm talking about the urban fantasy and paranormal romance, because that's what I know best, but we also do, you know, Clive Custler and Tom Clancy and John Stanford and Harlan Coben and, and uh, Ken Follett. And so it's, it's a balance we have a balance of books that speak to the to the female book buyer and reader and books that speak to the male book buyer and reader
0: the literary version of diversified investments
1: yes it is and it's been very it's been very good to us <laughs> companies that are dependent totally on one i mean you read the the publishing stuff Doubleday, their gear is going to be saved by the dan brown book mm mm-hmm. uh you know much-delayed Brown, Dan Brown book. We're not totally dependent on one author, or I, even two authors. So,
0: I've been speaking with Ginger Buchanan. She's the editor-in-chief for the Ace and Rock Imprints for Berkeley and New American Library. Thank you for joining me, Ginger.
1: Thank you so much. I hope it went well.